I had forgotten, uh, you know, so heavily in the early parts of the book of Exodus, I had forgotten that the verse, Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder, is simply two words in the Hebrew, just two words, lo titzrak. That's it. You shall not murder. Lo titzrak. So, I want to do an introduction where I grab kids. I want to get your attention as we think about this sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Imagine that one day you have the ability to play a composition by Mozart on the piano without touching the keys. Or you can score the winning goal in your soccer game and never touch the ball with your foot or head. Or you could paint a masterpiece that people would commission you if you would just give them one of them and your hand would never grasp an artist's brush. It sounds impossible, or really doesn't it sound too good to be true? Some of you moms maybe you think, could you imagine making dinner without ever touching a pan, a dish, a utensil. You wouldn't grab anything. You would just think it. you just will it, and dinner would be on the table. And then you'd will it, and all the dishes would be cleaned up. And then in the morning, you'd wake up, and you'd will it. you just think it, and the dishwasher would be emptied, and everything would be put away. There'd be no more fussing about how you load the dishwasher. All right. Who would have even ever thought that we'd have hands-free phone calls 20 or 30 years ago? Siri, call Cheryl for me. Siri, call so-and-so. You know, Siri, turn these lights off. Siri, turn that light on. Kids, did you know that God says that we can murder another person without ever touching them? without laying a hand on them. And I want you to remember this in a few moments as we dive into the sixth commandment, lo titzrak, you shall not murder. So this morning we come to the first, really of the second half of the 10 commandments, to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And one thing just to do by way of review is we think of the 10 words or the 10 commandments, two tablets of the law, that first tablet has to deal with our relationship with God. You might say it's vertical. The next, our relationship with our neighbor. But you have those first four, our relationship with God. Then the fifth is like a hinge or it's like a foundation stone dealing with the family as we looked at several weeks ago honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. But as you look, and if you'll turn for a moment and keep, just take a look at Exodus 20, page 61 in your pew Bible, and you see those words, you shall not murder. And I want you to notice something from verse 13 through verse 17, a pattern of not taking or not depriving. We're called to not take or deprive, if you will, a man of his life, 
a man of his wife, a man of his property, a man of a man, or to take a man's right to the truth, or to take a man's right to enjoyment of what is his by our sinful and out of bounds desire for what is his. That is coveting. In fact, you might remember that Paul said, until he heard that commandment, that 10th commandment, you shall not covet, then all of a sudden it's like the scales from his eyes and no matter where he would look, all he could think about was, I'm coveting, I'm coveting, I'm full of coveting. But there's a pattern here of taking, of sinful taking that is prohibited. Do not take another's life. Do not take another's mate. Do not take another's property, the Eighth Commandment. Do not take another person's right to the truth. Do not take another's enjoyment of what is rightfully theirs by our own sinful out-of-bounds desire, that is, coveting for what is there, whether it's their wife, their husband, or their property. Now, as we come to our message, I want to give you six bullet points that I think will help shape our message. And first, it's the basis for the commandment. I want us to see the basis for the commandment. And I'm going to give it to you in brief, and then we'll expand all of these. The basis for the sixth commandment is that God alone is the giver of life. That's the basis for the commandment. All right? Secondly, is the essence or principle of the commandment. And the very essence of the sixth commandment is that life is sacred, that there is a sanctity to human life. The third bullet point, or the third point of our sermon, after the basis and the essence, is to look at the obedience that's required in this commandment. Now, some of you might see in the pew in front of you a Trinity hymnal, and if you want to grab it, you can, because I think this could be instructive. Take that if you want to do this, and I want to turn your attention to the Shorter Catechism on page 874, and the divines of some 350 years ago thought that they would summarize the Sixth Commandment in questions 67 through 69 on page 874, which is the Sixth Commandment? They translate it, thou shalt not kill. That's the answer. The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not kill. Question 68, what is required in the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. How about that? To preserve our own life and the life of others. And then question 69, what is forbidden? Not simply what is required, but what is forbidden in the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life. What does that prohibit? Suicide. Or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. And there you have in three questions in the shorter catechism 
from three and a half centuries ago, a summary, a statement, and then a summary of the requirements and then what's forbidden by the sixth commandment. But the obedience here, the very essence of obeying this commandment is we're never to take our neighbor's life unless God who is the giver of life unless God who declares that life is sacred there's a sanctity to it we're never to take our neighbor's life unless God allows or commands it And we'll get into that later. Some of you are thinking, oh, really? What will that include? We'll get to that. And we are not to murder another person on purpose with malice and premeditation. In fact, in Proverbs 6 and verse 17, God is clear there's something he hates. Hands that shed innocent blood. There's the basis for the commandment, the essence, the obedience that's required. I want to finish right there. We're never to purpose murder another person on purpose with malice and premeditation or to cause their death through our carelessness or neglect. Through our carelessness or neglect. The fourth thing, getting to the heart of the commandment after the basis for the commandment, the essence or principle underlying the commandment, the obedience required by it, the heart of the commandment is that this commandment is more about the heart than hands. If you've ever hated another person unjustly, ungraciously, without cause, If you've hated, you've despised another person, then you have joined me in breaking this command. It's like hands-free murder. There's a fifth point, and then we're we're, going to enlarge all these, and that is the application of this commandment. And I want us to see that the application of the sixth commandment has great breadth in application both to our affections what's inside into our actions what is invisible as well as what's visible and then the final point that I want to address this morning is gospel hope for haters because my hope is that the word is light, the word is hammer that shatters the rock, the word as the sword of the spirit will blow off and reveal where we've not loved as we ought to have loved, where in fact we have abided, we have preserved, we have played with and allowed resentment and bitterness and hatred to stay within us unaddressed. We'll get to that. Well, first then, to enlarge these, to to repeat the basis, the essence, the obedience, the heart of the commandment, the application of this commandment, and then finally, gospel hope for haters. What's the basis 
for this commandment. It's that God and God alone is the giver of life. Therefore, God alone speaks to what is good and right in the giving and taking of life. And I hope you notice that in fact that the application of this in those three questions in the shorter catechism says that our first natural regard is for our life, that we are to have respect and regard as sacred our own life as well as the life of our neighbor. But you read in Genesis 2-7, it says this. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And this same language was not used of the other creatures. God made man. God made man in his own image and likeness. God made man in his own image and likeness to glorify him. Kids, you know the answer. Why did God make you in all things? What's the answer? For his own glory. Even as we learned one of the five solas from last week. Sola Deo Gloria. All right? The basis is that God is the giver of life. God alone is the one who creates and gives as stewardship life. In fact, turn to John 1 for a moment. The Gospel of John in verse 1. You'll notice about the word as John introduces him in his prologue. And he says of this word, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And look in John 14, one of the seven I am sayings of the Son of God. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. God is the giver of life. That is the basis of for the sixth commandment. Sometimes kids will ask, do dogs go to heaven? And maybe some of you have a dog or a cat or a frog or something like that. They do not. And there's something qualitatively different. There's something from creation, from the very onset of creation that's different between human life and animal life. It was not said of the animals that God formed those animals from the dust of the ground and then breathed into them, into their nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That is said of man alone. And that doesn't mean that we may be cruel to animals. In fact, the evidence of grace in a person is to deal humanely and with kindness and with respect, even to animals, even to animals appropriately. And Proverbs speaks of that, that a righteous person is not cruel to his beast. What is the basis for this commandment? God 
is the giver of life. In fact, in Colossians 1, it is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who's credited with being the very agent of creation. You look around, and you see trees, and all like ginkgo trees in yellow, and oak trees, and maple trees in yellow, and orange, and green. You look around and see men with beards, and you see ladies with all types of different hair, and makeup, and eyes, and dresses, and we're all here, and we look differently. Some of us with brown eyes and blue eyes and green eyes. You were made, you were given life by the very Son of God as the agent of creation. That's the basis for this commandment. But secondly, I want us to consider the essence of this commandment, and that is that human life is sacred. There's a sanctity to human life. And the idea of sanctity is, is there's a holiness to it. It's set apart. It's distinct. It's not of common use. As I said just a moment ago, we do not and we cannot regard the life of an animal sacred. And yes, I am the guy that still will break when a squirrel runs out in front of me. Maybe some of you do that, okay? I don't just want to squish the squirrel on the road, okay? But that doesn't mean I regard the squirrel's life as sacred. But simply that moment of human, of just that human, let them live, let them live in that case. They're in a different category altogether. So therefore, we are never to take our neighbor's life unless God commands or allows it. And by application, kids, let me give this to you. It is never appropriate to joke about killing or murdering another person or your brother or sister. That's not appropriate. That's not pleasing to God. All right? Or about your mom or to do that to any other person. We are not to murder another person. And by murder... We mean to kill another person without God's permission or command. That's what we mean, all right? It's never lawful. It's never pleasing to God. Are there occasions, are there times when it is right to kill another person to take their life? The answer is yes, and we'll look at that, we'll look at this during our application of the commandment. And we're going to do that in a few moments. There are times when it's legitimate to kill another person. That's not the main focus of this morning, but we're going to speak to that in our application. But the principle, the essence of this commandment is that human life is precious and sacred. There's a reason we had a shower for Lauren McElrath yesterday as they're expecting their fifth child. Because we celebrate, we value, we cherish, we thank God for human life. There's a reason we offer alternatives to women who think that the only way out is to abort their children. And as a practical application to this commandment, the church must rise up and say, no, moms, you don't need to do that. We'll take your baby, your baby's life. However small it be at the moment of conception, it's precious and valuable and ought to receive the highest level of protection. Human life 
as we speak of the essence of this commandment, is the very gift of God, the good gift of God, whose is his alone to give. So God allowed, so God alone is allowed to take human life or to prescribe the circumstances where man may legitimately and rightly take or end another life. And I'm going to give those to you now briefly in two categories. Number one is the idea of protection. And the other category is the idea of punishment and deterrent. So on the idea, when, when is it valid that you may take another life is for personal self-defense. And it doesn't look like this. Oh, you stepped on my foot, so now I'm going to punch you in the face or pull out my firearm. You cut me off in traffic, and so your move in traffic is going to cost you your life. That's not what we're talking about. Vengeance is not mine, says the Lord. I will repay. All right? And the state, as given even in Romans 13, has that prerogative but the basis for that is that man is made in the image of God that's the appeal that God gives in Genesis 9 in fact let's turn there just for a moment as we speak of the valid moments where humans may take another life number one is protection self-defense by an individual You obviously, law enforcement will do this, but also for nations to defend themselves. I'm not here to debate. We're not here to do an analysis of every nation's actions beyond their borders. But I want you, as you look at Genesis 9, and you read in verse 5, and for your lifeblood, this is God speaking to Noah and his Sons, for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And he says here, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And what you'll notice here from Genesis 9, 6 is when you take this word, God appeals to his own making of man, his making of man in his own image as the basis for capital punishment for the protection of life. When you go back to Genesis 1, this God making man in his own image is the basis for the procreation of life. Genesis 1.28, the procreation of life. Genesis 9.6, the protection of life, a life for life, and a basis there for capital punishment in the case of murder. Now let's move on then having seen even the distinction between murder and killing, and there's a legitimate taking of human life for protection, for punishment, and deterrent. Let's move on to the obedience that's required by this commandment. You heard it in those three questions even from the Shorter Catechism. But the essence of this is we're never to take our neighbor's life unless God allows it. We're not to murder another person 
on purpose or cause their death because we are careless or negligent. Some of you, if you're looking in the footnotes on, in your ESV Bible, if you have it on page 61, a footnote there, is that the Hebrew word tzarak, here for murder or to kill or to slay, not only covers intentional, malicious, premeditated murder, but human death through carelessness or negligence. And so when someone is driving a car under the influence or too fast for conditions or willfully, wantonly runs a red light or someone shoots a gun and has no regard for what is downstream of the direction of that bullet... Or if a mother or father were not to give regard for the baby that's in their back seat and they get out of their car because they're too interested in what's on their phone and social media and it's the middle of July and they forgot as they come to work that they completely have forgotten about the baby in their back seat and the baby dies a hot car death. This verse speaks to that. And obviously we want to speak and understand that people make mistakes. But the heart of this commandment is to say that God gives life. Life is sacred. It's God to give or take life or to to prescribe the circumstances where we can do that. Okay? Here's the point about the obedience of this commandment. Life is to be respected It's to be cared for and preserved unless God directs otherwise. And I want to say to some of you who are young, younger, when you have those feelings that I don't want to live life, if you have a feeling that I I don't want to live, you go to mom and dad and you say, mom and dad, help me to value my life and see it as God gave it. That's right. That's the point of this commandment, your life. Your life is a gift from God. And it's not for you to take your life. It's for God, for God alone to direct you in your life. Now, I want to talk fourthly about the heart of this commandment. And the heart of this commandment is that, in fact, this commandment is more about the heart than hands. It's more about what's inside us than even what we do with our hands. It's the point of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Turn with me there, if you will. Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's helpful to remember that the Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom life in a fallen world. That's the title of Sinclair Ferguson's book on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a manifesto for the Christian life. And rather Jesus saying, I came to abolish the law. No, I came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so let me show you this law in fuller, even fuller spiritual application and expression. And in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, he deals with the sixth commandment. Anger, words of abuse, insults, cursing against another person are counted as breaking the sixth commandment. When our hearts are filled with hate and disdain for another person, 
We've broken the commandment, you shall not murder. And in fact, as we'll see in 1 John 3, there's two sides to this. There's the apathy that simply is uncaring, unthinking about our neighbor. You do you, you're over there. As long as you don't trespass me, we're fine. As long as I don't have to worry about you and you don't worry about me, I'm fine. Whereas John says, no, actually, we're not to hate, which is equal to murder. We're to love. And we're not to love simply in word, but in deed. And there's an ultimate parable about that, isn't there? There's this good Samaritan. There's the guy lying by on that side of the road. Hey, all these guys are busy getting to where they need to be. They didn't actively murder this person. They just left him there. So on one side is an apathy to our neighbor and their situation and their plight. On the other is an aggression to do them harm. Okay? But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, it begins inside, that the Christian life in effect is lived inside out. So when our hearts are filled with hate and disdain for another person, we've broken the commandment. You shall not murder. When we ungraciously think or say, you idiot or you're an idiot, we've broken the commandment. And you, that commandment, you shall not murder. And we can't look at each other and say, when I said you're an idiot, I didn't mean it. No, actually, from Matthew 15, you thought it first and you said it second. And when we've done that, we've, we've broken, we've violated this commandment, you shall not murder, though we did not touch the other person or lay a single finger Upon them. That's the point of Jesus' words in Matthew 15. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart, listen to this, come evil thoughts. Well, that makes sense. Now, murder, that's interesting. That requires a hand, doesn't it? No. We understand evil thoughts out of the heart murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft. Jesus says theft. The taking of something, which we think of in terms of physical action, comes from here. We want what's not ours. That's the genesis of theft. I gotta have it. Even false witness and slander. And Jesus adds, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Look, I love to eat healthy. I like organic food. But you know, as I was meditating on this past time, I'm like, you know, your problem is not that you ate uh, uncertified organic food or food that was not certified as organic this week, your problem, Mark, is your heart. It's not what you ate. It's not what went inside. It's what comes out. And the importance of one does not negate the other. I want to apply this to this very quickly in about six ways. The application of this commandment to get very specific. We must never take the life of another person with purposeful, premeditated malice. Never, nor joke about it. Number two, we must live with a conscious care for others 
so that by carelessness and neglect, we would not cause injury or death to another person. So as an application for some of those who are getting your driver's licenses and you're learning to drive, you understand when your parents give you the keys to the car, they have weaponized you. Your car has formed an instrument of potential injury. So when you drive into this church parking lot, realize a three-year-old is not thinking about you turning into the car, into this parking lot, right? That type of heart says, we look out for others, that our lives are not marked by carelessness and neglect for the welfare of others. But third, we must contend for the life of the unborn and for those who are vulnerable. Some of you know that we support Piedmont Women's Center, but there's way more work we can do for the lives of unborn in terms of ministering to that. We have opportunities, in fact, with Piedmont Women's Center. That's been a focus, and even with love life. And so there, that's the third point of application. Fourth, we need to repent. We're called to repent of our indifference and apathy to others. And I'm sorry to tell you, but that's functional hate. Turn with me to 1 John 3. You know the book of 1 John. You know what John is giving. He, in effect, is addressing the assurance of those who would say they're in Christ. In fact, tonight, Doug Brown will be preaching for us from 1 John chapter 5, I think 20 and 21. But if you'll turn to 1 John in chapter 3, the word here is that we know we have been transformed, we've passed from death to life because our lives are marked by love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, that's verse 14. And then he says it and says, whoever does not love abides in death. And then verse 15, A to B, B to C, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Our love for others must be practically expressed We may not actively hate, but our lives must not be marked by an apathetic, uncaring indifference to others. We must live with practical help for others. That's the point of verse 17 in 1 John 3. But if anyone has the world's deed, goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love, is the antithesis of hate, which is tantamount to murder. Let us not love simply with words, but in deed and in truth. There's a fifth application. We need to see hatred as this insidious, silent and deadly form of murder that it is. We must not slay others' reputation by our slander. 
where we ungraciously, unfairly think and speak of others. We were made to respond. It's not Christ-like to cancel others or to drink from a cancel culture Kool-Aid. We must not demean, stereotype, or judge others with our thinking and then our speech. If our future is, is as bright as the promises of God, then every single person in Christ Jesus, every fellow image bearer has gifts and capacity and graces and potential to grow and to change and contribute to the body of Christ in the advance of God's kingdom in the world. Final word. I want to give hope. For some of you have had moments maybe in the last 35 minutes where you've thought, I have too much hate. It's stuck to me. You know it's like to stick, like to step on chewing gum in the middle of a summer day and you can't get it off your shoe. It's just stuck. You feel like hate is stuck to you. What do you do? What do you do when you have that moment, that moment of epiphany, the all of a sudden moment when you realize you've hated far too much and you've loved far too little. You go to the cross. You go to him who's gentle and lowly. You know, you're shaped. You're shaped by what you look at. You're shaped by what you meditate upon and you you go then you go to him who really knows not just the tip of the iceberg but who knows the blackness the hollowness the hatred that settled in you like a gall of bitterness and maybe you're like look I like 99% of people and I go out to eat with them but there's just 1% I'm really fine if they stay over here over there and I'm over here as long as we don't like intersect as long as I don't have to run into them or talk to them or deal with them this word is for you you may say God give me a new heart by the power of your spirit and because of the perfect work of your son that he accomplished on the cross for sinners just like me with dark and hateful hearts Do for me what I cannot do for myself. Take out this stony heart and give me a new one that will truly love so that there'll be this alignment of my thoughts and my words and my actions singing out in unison, giving out in unison, oh God, to you and to every person with something like this. I love you. I want the best for you. I will think the best of you. I will give myself to you. I forgive you for any wrong you have done me.
And I never want to bring that up again. I pray that as far as the east is separated from the west, in the imitation of my heavenly father, I will forgive and forget your trespass with me. And then you turn it around. And forgive me for not loving you in a way that reflects the character, the goodness, the grace, and the gospel of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, this morning we've, we've thought and we've talked about the basis for the sixth commandment. God gives life. The essence is that life is sacred. The obedience is that we are never to take the life of our neighbor by willful, malicious purpose or through carelessness or neglect. The heart of this commandment is that it's way more about the heart and the affections of our heart and the affections and our attitude toward another than it is even about the reach, the access, the actions of our hands. We've seen a breadth of application to this command, but I want to draw you in. How do you go from being, maybe you think, I'm not a murderer, but the word has caught you short and you think, maybe I am a murderer. Maybe I've murdered my brother or sister because I've harbored hate, hurtful hate in my heart. Here's the invitation. I want to tell you this. this and this is stunning. I want to challenge you to do this. Go today. Today. And look at Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2. And I'm simply going to point this out to you to tell you this. When Peter laid right at the feet of their hearers that they, through the predetermined plan of God, nailed through their murderous action the Son of God to the cross, when they were pierced to their hearts at the end and they said, what shall we do? He didn't say to them, turn yourself in for murder at the local jail. What did he tell them? Believe in the same son whom you put on the cross. Go to him who your hands have murdered. That, brothers and sisters, is the word we need to hear when we realize that this command is way more about the heart.